Welcome to ScotsCast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church, Melbourne. For some reason, and I'm not exactly sure why, I have a personal aversion to blockbuster movies. The bigger the movie, somehow the less likely I am to see it. And so across the last 20 or 30 years, there, there's a whole list of movies that almost everybody else in the world has seen, and I haven't. Not because I'm not into movies, because I am, but because, well, I'm not really sure. So when it comes to famous movies like Titanic, starring a very young Leonardo DiCaprio, didn't see it. Partly, I guess, because I knew exactly how it was going to end. And so, except for in the endless previews and ads and reviews at the time, I didn't ever actually see the famous scene I'm about to quote on the big screen. The scene where Jack is standing right on the bow of the majestic Titanic with the wind in his face and his arms outstretched, shouting at the top of his voice, exhilarated, I'm the king of the world. Well, if only he knew what was coming. Now, this morning we're launching a teaching series on the New Testament book of Acts, short, of course, for the Acts of the Apostles, which picks up the story exactly where Luke's gospel ended and tells us the fascinating tale of what happens next. Again, narrated by the same Luke who wrote the gospel. It is the sequel. Telling the story of the one who, in Luke's mind at least, is actually the king of the world. Tracing the story as that kingdom takes shape. You can see it in almost his opening words. Uh, Like his gospel dedicated, addressed to a man named Theophilus, who may have been a patron may have been, in the view of one scholar, at least actually the Apostle Paul's lawyer in Rome, because that's actually where the book ends. Paul, about to appear in Caesar's court, had a lot of Luke's material, if you read it carefully, works very well as a kind of legal defence. But here we are. In the first book, Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now here's the rest of the story of what happens next. And so you'll notice in Luke's summary of what Jesus is teaching after his resurrection, there's a a nice potted summary in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He's speaking about a kingdom, the kingdom of God in the world. The kingdom Jesus taught his disciples to pray for in the words of that famous prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And now he's resurrected and he's with them 40 days and speaking with them about the kingdom of God. Because you see, Jesus, the anointed one, is now the resurrected one ready to take his throne. 
And these apostles, a word that literally means messengers, these apostles are the ones he has chosen as the proclaimers of his royal rule to the world. Now that, of course, raises a number of questions for us and for the apostles themselves. Political questions, first of all, for, around their ambitions for their own nation of Israel. Now, right at the moment, these days, the world's attention is on places like Russia and Ukraine and China and Taiwan. But not far down the list, there's always been, in my lifetime at least, been the disproportionate issue of the nation of Israel and Palestine. Even more so back then, given that historically, the idea of the kingdom of God was tied specifically to that one area of the Middle East, which to them was the centre around which the whole world rotated. In fact, even in the Middle Ages, that's the way they drew their maps. Jerusalem in the centre. And yet in spite of that, you see, they're, they're groaning under the power of Rome. You might remember, remember last week at the end of Luke's Gospel, the dejected words of Cleopas on the Emmaus Road. He says, our, our chief priests and rulers delivered Jesus up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now here on page one of the sequel, same hopes on the lips of the disciples. Same hopes in the hearts of the disciples. All this talk about the kingdom of God, time to make Israel great again. So look at their question in verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Surely it's time. Which brings us then to one of the enduring issues faced by readers of the book of Acts. And a kind of an ambiguity that's played out in Christian theology and in American foreign policy even today. Where will we put our embassy? Do we back Palestine or Israel? Does Israel as a nation have a, a special place in God's plans for the world? It's worth thinking through, given the words of Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel, who we heard in our first reading. Maybe their question's not unreasonable. Especially because, do you notice, Jesus twice mentions the promised coming of the Holy Spirit, which the prophet Ezekiel talked about as well. Now, we're going to dip into Ezekiel in a moment, but notice here in verses 4 and 5, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. But John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See, here's the moment promised not just by John the Baptist, but way back in the Old Testament as well. It's there in verse 8 as well. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Somehow, in the way God's Spirit empowered prophets and kings in the Old Testament, He's going to empower these messengers of the kingdom in a long-promised way. These messengers are, first of all, going to be Spirit-washed and Spirit-renovated and then Spirit-powered, which is, in fact, something we see played out through the coming pages of the book of Acts. Which means, of course, this is the book that's become the, the theological playfield or the theological battlefield of the 20th century Pentecostal movement. And their claims of promises of spiritual healings and spiritual tongues and spiritual manifestations in all kinds of ways that they want to make prescriptive for today. Well, you notice at this point, though, what, in terms of the words of Jesus, the promised Holy Spirit is going to do in the words on the screen in front of me. And that is empower their witness. In terms of the words to say, in terms of the courage to say it under dire circumstances, and as well as that, to shape the way it's received. Now, I said we were going to look back at Ezekiel. There's one thing more, which we're going to see playing out as well. Ezekiel, looking forward to the great day when God steps in to reconstitute his people and their exile, regather them from the nations. Here's what he says, chapter 36. First and foremost, he says, there is going to be a change of heart, a change of inner attitude, no longer hard-hearted, but fully alive, alive to the good. This is going to be a kingdom of hearts. Here's what he says. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, this kingdom isn't going to be a kingdom of external legislation so much as one of inner motivation that the good won't be mandated on stone tablets and resisted by stone hearts, but will work on our inner desires so that the good that we want is in line with the good God designed us for. And so you see, subjection to King Jesus when he comes is always and only going to be a willing subjection and never forced or legislated. Individual by individual, family by family, who we will meet on the way as we work through the book of Acts. Which still in a way begs that question, is it all about Israel or not? Because in the same breath, Ezekiel says, when all that happens, 
is when I'll be calling you back together again as a nation around your king. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I'll be your God. So you see, fair question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is a question I want to suggest that hangs over the whole of the book of Acts, right to the very end. In a sense, it's the mystery to be solved in the book of Acts, the question to be constantly asked. And as we'll see, the answer depends on what the scattered people of Israel are going to do with the news of their resurrected king. Now the reality is, since the Assyrian conquest of northern Israel in 722 BC, and since the Babylonian conquest of Judah in the south in 587 BC, the majority of ethnic Israelites have lived far from their homeland. It wasn't long ago, I think, that Melbourne was famous as the second biggest Greek city in the world. Not sure how we rank now. Uh, the Irish, likewise, scattered everywhere by famine, still keeping their Irish identity for generations. Not to mention those Scots with all their churches and bagpipes and tartans and names that start with Mac all over the place. Israel, you see, even more so ready, perhaps, to be regathered around their king as these apostles go out on mission. Ready. Or are they? See, here is how Jesus answers their question. It's not for you to know the when, but it's for you to go out with the news. To bear witness to what you've seen and heard, first of all to Jerusalem, where you are, then to Judea and Samaria, which used to be the northern kingdom, Samaria, and then everywhere else, which is in a sense the program we're going to see played out right through the book, step by step, place by place. Look, the question will always be, how are they going to respond? First and foremost, the scattered Israelites in their synagogues, how are they going to respond? Because if the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel, obviously they'll need to embrace their king, who the power of Rome couldn't constrain, and neither could the power of death itself. This is a message first for them. How are they going to respond? Spoiler alert, if you can't wait to the end of the book, the answer is not too promising. Although on the other hand, and I'm aware of the time and need to be brief, on the other hand, there's that other famous Old Testament passage we need to have in mind as well. That second reading from Daniel, where Daniel's vision is one of one he calls the Son of Man who'll come to his heavenly throne on the clouds to rule 
alongside the Ancient of Days himself. Not just over Israel. But if you look at Daniel's words, to rule over all the nations everywhere, every language, everywhere, every kind of person, an absolutely equal opportunity, multi-ethnic, multilingual collection of all kinds of people, united by the fact that they're worshipping this Son of Man who is enthroned in Daniel's vision on this chariot of clouds. Which is, of course, the scene the apostles are about to witness as Jesus is lifted up in the clouds. With the guarantee that the journey they've just seen started will carry him all the way to the throne as king of the world at the right hand of God. Now, friends, that is a huge claim with huge implications for how you view Jesus. And I know this has been a whole lot of stuff to take on board on a Sunday morning uh, that raises a whole lot of questions. Questions that do relate to to international foreign relations and whether that little nation of Israel is still at the centre of God's plans. And again, as a spoiler alert, I'd say that by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, the answer depends on what they've done with the message of the risen Jesus. And maybe these apostles will have to come to terms with the idea that the kingdom is much wider than they thought much bigger than just a restoration of the nation of Israel. And friends, if that is the case, then there are more pressing personal questions as well. And the delightful thing about the book of Acts is that as we read, we meet a whole lot of quirky individuals who are faced with the question of what they do with the message of the risen Jesus. On an individual level, one person, one family at a time. Israelite, Gentile, anything, all over the place. Who have to come to terms with the fact that the call of this kingdom is for everyone. Which has to bring the message home to people just like me and you an invitation to this kingdom of transformed hearts. Not of legislation and force, but of an open and generous invitation to a new love for God's righteousness, if that's what you're looking for. We'll meet all kinds of people in Acts, some who say yes, others who say no. Great Crowds who respond positively to the message. Or riots in Ephesus, where they'd rather keep worshipping Artemis of the Ephesians instead. And still, relentlessly, the message keeps going. As it does today. As it does here in Melbourne, against all the odds. An invitation to join the kingdom of the one who really is the king of the world. Mm-hmm.
You've been listening to Scott's Cast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scott's Church, Melbourne.